Welcome to the Bringing the Human Back to Human Resources podcast, the podcast all about the delicate balance between people and business, and quite literally, reconnecting the two. My name is Tracy Rubin, and I've spent nearly my entire professional career in HR. Join me as I share stories, opinions, and words of advice with you each week. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Bringing the Human Back to Human Resources podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you are listening to this podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, give this video a thumbs up and subscribe as well. And you can click the notification bell so that every time a a new video or new episode comes out, you can be notified. So if you're watching on YouTube, you can see that I am in a new space. Um, We moved. Now that we are moved in, we are all set to go. Um, So yeah. Here we are. I'm right near a window, so I hope that we don't hear too much um, from cars or sirens or anything like that. But if we do, we'll roll with the punches. And I appreciate your uh, patience while I figure out the best space for audio while I'm getting adjusted to this new place. So this week I wanted to, or I felt inspired to talk about turnover because it's a huge topic right now. It's played a huge role in my uh, experience as a director of HR for the company that I work for because we are seeing, for sure, we're seeing turnover in a different way than we saw even six months ago, let alone a year ago. And there are some, you know, there's some data points around this that um, the Department of Labor has provided and that other organizations like SHRM and you know various third party like magazines and newspapers have uh, talked about or used as a point for discussion and i noticed that a lot of through the research that i did in advance of this episode i noticed that a lot of articles came out in march which is interesting because i think that it was march where we really started seeing a tide turn with turnover specifically in how competitive the job market is right now And if you're a hiring manager, you can probably relate to this in that it's a little difficult to find top talent and like meaning you have to really search for it. Like it's there, but you have to really search for it. And two, there's really great top talent, but they're being, you know, offered left and right by all of these other competitors. And so actually nailing them down and bringing them onto the team is quite challenging because there, you know, there's so much competition. And then the third thing is that there are just fewer applicants overall. This at least is a trend that I've noticed even in filling temporary roles. Like normally, and I've talked about this before, that consultant roles, they're temporary, they're a great way to get your foot in the door, but there are far fewer people I've found interested in those roles or even applying for those types of roles And I think that's probably because there's so much competition for regular part-time or full-time roles in so many industries. And it's not to say that there aren't people out there who want a temporary or contract position, but there's definitely a change in the population in the sense of how many people are actually interested or available to work those types of jobs. Sometimes I wonder whether it's because of benefits and people needing medical benefits, especially because we're in the middle of a pandemic, Um, or if it's just that there are so many new jobs that people are more interested in. So one of the things that I wanted to share is that the Department of Labor released a Bureau of Labor Statistics in March 2021, and 
It's interesting because they have graphs here. And of course, I will link this in the description box and the show notes so that you can also read it. But it's really interesting because in uh, March 2020, the unemployment rate was almost 16%. And March 2021, it went down to 6%. So that's, I think, a telltale sign that actually with unemployment on the decline, that means that there are either more jobs available or just more people hiring and potentially more people interested in working because there are so many different factors here where you have people who are ready and able to work and there's no job. People who are ready and able to work except they're a little bit afraid of working because of COVID and there are potentially no positions. So there, to me, there are like three separate factors that bubble into this unemployment rate or that could lend to understanding or analyzing the unemployment rate because it's not just people who are unemployed. Maybe before COVID, it would be as linear as that. But now I don't think it's actually that. I think that there, again, there is a percentage of people who are ready and able to work and and they're applying for jobs. Um, And then there are people ready and willing and able to work, but they're afraid to work, so they don't want to. Um, And then the third, again, is that potentially there are no jobs. So that 6% to me is kind of like a heavy 6%. What does that actually represent? And the Bureau of Labor Statistics goes on to say that the number of unemployed persons at 9.7 million continues to trend down in March, but it's 4 million higher than February 2020. So we're still at a higher or more elevated rate of unemployment compared to pre-pandemic, but the trend is going down in the number of unemployed people, which again lends to this bigger question of, well, is it that there are more jobs available or is it that there are people who are actually getting back into the workforce because they want to or because they're able to? And then, of course, it breaks down, you know, the demographics of unemployed workers um, and the number of people who were placed on temporary layoff um, during the pandemic, which is really interesting. And so if you find this type of data super interesting, you should definitely check it out. Again, I will link it. So here's where it gets interesting. The labor force participation rate, which represents people who are actively employed and or people who are actively seeking employment, is down to 61.5% as of March. And this is 1.8 percentage points lower than what the labor force participation rate was in February 2020, which overall means that there are fewer people in the workforce. So and when we think about this 6% of unemployed, 6% of Americans are unemployed, well, a percentage of those people are also potentially not interested in being in the workforce. So I think those data points are fairly interesting, especially as I go into some of these other industry-specific points, which I, I want to share here because, of course, my expertise is in retail. It's where I've spent my entire career. But I think it's very interesting to think about where jobs have increased um, because when you think about where um, where accommodations and scheduling changes and flexibility take place, I think some of these industries are going to surprise you. So in March, leisure and hospitality had um, a 280,000 increase in employment. So this could be, of course, because people started to wine and dine again. They started to travel again. So this kind of makes sense to me. 
we're talking about arts, entertainment, recreation, food services, and drinking places. So that makes sense. And then for other industries, transportation and warehousing, 48,000 jobs added in March. Social assistance, so you think of individual and family services, added 25,000 jobs. So clearly there are jobs being added. But here is where I'm sure people are not expecting this as a as a point or of a, a data point for where jobs have been added. But in retail, 23,000 jobs were added in March. And retail, like, always is in the media as being a dying industry or, you know, like brick and mortar's done, only e-com. But the thing is, like, as a retailer, as someone who's been in retail her whole life, pretty much, I see the value and I see where retail is absolutely not a dying field. I mean, there are so many retail jobs and there are so many um, areas where retail has progressed and developed. And last week I talked about the blockbuster theory and how companies need to think about how they're not going to be the next blockbuster. And that was, of course, in the frame and the scope of employee engagement. But when you kind of shift that and you think about the blockbuster theory in the sense of progressive business models outside of employee experience and actually with how you are buying and selling goods, for example, just very basically, when you are a business that is progressive in the way that you reach customers, you're probably going to be just fine. Like you think of all these retailers that have closed out in the last few years, like Sears, Lord & Taylor, Barney's, those major department stores, those major companies, they didn't necessarily adapt to the changing times. And so for companies, most companies probably are. Um, and so I'm not surprised by this 23,000 job ad in retail. And of course, retail is including car dealerships and um, furniture stores and all of those different retailers. But what's interesting is that um, the clothing and apparel side of retail grew the most with 16,000 jobs. So this to me makes total sense. I think that it's, I mean, it's definitely lower. So it says here, it's definitely lower than it was in February, 2020 in terms of number of jobs. But I think it's important to actually recognize the data and the facts that there are jobs out there. So now we know that there are jobs out there, but how the heck do we get people to stay how do we get people to join when people do decide to leave? And so switching out of this data-focused point of discussion, I do want to spend some time talking about these elements of people, you know, top talent being in a hyper-competitive environment where it's, to me, this is an employee market, I should say. It is not an, an employer market. Employers have a disadvantage at this point in time because there is so much competition. Like I said, the there are jobs out there, so people are applying for jobs, they are looking for other opportunities. And so I think that there are some employers potentially who are sitting back saying, oh, it's the pandemic, people aren't going to leave, they're not going to sacrifice you know, their jobs for anything, they're, they're gonna choose tenure over a new experience. And I don't find that to be true right now. I find that people are much more 
open, I think, to making a change than probably ever before. And what I'm seeing is that there are a lot of changes in careers, a lot of changes in industry. And we see this often in retail anyway, because retail can really like chew you up and spit you out. Um, but there are people who are, you know, leaving their industry that they've been in for however many years, and they're going to a new industry to either get a new experience or because the pandemic has awoken something in their minds that they're like, okay, I want to change my life. And so we're seeing a lot of those lifestyle changes. I'd be curious if you are a hiring manager, if you are also experiencing this, um, please let me know because I think that this is something where those of us who are in these positions for hiring, recruiting, um, analyzing these trends, we need to have discussions and we need to talk because Otherwise, we're just going to continue to make the same mistakes because we're working in silos or we're not going to be able to anticipate what is potentially coming down the pipeline. Um, I saw a really interesting article on Sherm here. Again, I will link this as well. I always link every article that I that I read or reference. Um, and Sherm called this a turnover tsunami, um, which could be expected once the pandemic ends. And I think there's already a tsunami, but maybe it's just me. Um, I see so many of my friends leaving for new roles. I see um, people that I've worked with or who I currently work with um, leaving for new roles. And that's obviously totally okay. But I think that this is the, I can understand that term tsunami for sure, because it's kind of like hit after hit. So there's a really interesting quote here from the chief workforce scientist at Achievers. Her name is Natalie Baumgartner. And she says, throughout the pandemic, some companies have lost mainstays of employee engagement, such as focusing on work-life balance, enacting change following employee feedback, driving recognition and fostering company culture. As remote work becomes a more permanent fixture of our lives, even beyond the pandemic, it's important that employers are addressing these areas of concern in an effort to increase engagement and reduce turnover. This just reminds me of my episode last week about not being the next blockbuster and thinking about the blockbuster theory. And I totally agree with Natalie. I think that as companies do address or fail to address, depending on um, the approach that they're taking, this change in tide, the change in employee demand, we're going to continue or employers are going to continue to see these challenges. And not every industry, not every job can be flexible. Not every job or industry can be remote. We know this. But I think that there are certain considerations that employers need to or should make when it comes to being competitive with the employee demand. And so when we think about like the housing market, for example, the housing market totally shifted in 2020 through 2021. It was a seller's market. The mortgage rates were pretty good from what I understand. I'm not in the market, but what I do know from friends and family who have purchased homes or sold their homes, it is a seller's market because there was so much demand for buying in order to have more space. And so I think of this in the same way with the employee uh, engagement theory or you know the employee experience in that employees are demanding more from their employers and they're demanding and expecting uh, a different or more progressive potentially way of working. And so how are employers going to meet that demand? In retail, I think it's very hard to answer this question because there is that element of brick and mortar and there's the element of e-com. And if you're in retail, you know that e-commerce typically doesn't sit 
in a, you know, in a store environment. It's usually in like a corporate or removed from the store type of environment. And so how do you, as a retailer, take both entities in an omni-channel approach, meaning you have brick and mortar and the uh, internet or online experience, how do you blend them together while also retaining your employees who are demanding a potentially a different way of working? I think that's really challenging and I don't I don't know that I'm the person to answer that question but I think it's a question that every single hiring manager and every single person in a decision-making position needs to think about especially in industries where progression might not be as easily done as in an industry for example that's fully remote and very easily fully remote that's the one side of where there's this employee demand on the employer But the other thing, and we already kind of touched on this, is that there is so much competition. And so how do you retain your people when there's always going to be something bigger and better? And there's always it's always been that way. That's not something new. But I think it's it's much more impactful now because potentially budgets are different. um, You know, workload might be different. And so actually being able to retain top talent or um, higher top talent can be potentially a little bit restrictive and all the more challenging than it was before because there are so many new elements. So we know that that's not new and the grass is not always greener. Employees might leave for something bigger and better and they might not be happy and that's always remained true. But what do employers who don't necessarily have the same flexibility, what do they do in order to retain their top talent? I don't think it's always money. I don't think it's always benefits. Do I think that those play a huge role? Yes. But is there more? Are there things that we could be doing differently? And I realize I'm posing questions like one way. There's no way for you to answer me at this point in time. But I I think that these are questions that we have to ask. And I hope that I can start answering them. But I'd love to hear from you in the comments, if you're watching on YouTube, if you're listening on a, a podcast app. Like I'd love to hear if there's a formula or a new approach that you are applying or something that you've thought about um, introducing in order to improve employee engagement and retention because turnover is really debilitating. It impacts every single person around that person. Even if it's someone who works 12 hours a week, that person as a loss, like even, even if they're not the strongest performer, there's a huge impact not only on the business or the organization that the person works for, but also on the individuals around them because it adds workload to their plate. It makes things a bit more challenging. And I think that most of us are in environments where our workload has changed a lot and potentially has already increased. And so to think about or to even, you know, fathom taking on more, let alone actually taking on more because someone now has left, is debilitating, I I would imagine. So preventing, or I shouldn't even say preventing turnover, I should say increasing retention is probably one of the best things that we can focus on as HR professionals, as hiring managers. And I really would love to have an open discussion about this. I think I'm gonna post on LinkedIn in the Bringing the Human Back to Human Resources podcast group and potentially on my actual LinkedIn page too because I think that this is something where we all need to brainstorm and we have to think about what do we need to do differently, whether it's industry specific or otherwise.
So I wanted to spend the next few minutes talking about or talking through a question that was posed to me. And it's pretty like a, a pretty basic question. I would say I receive it fairly often and it's about resumes. And the person asked um, how they basically create an eye-catching resume because it's very competitive and they're not getting a lot of biting from uh, the hiring managers or the recruiting team. And so the first stop for me is always to look at the flow of the resume. Are the things that are in bold or the things that are catching your eye what you want them to be? So for example, do you have in bold the company or do you have in bold the title? I personally believe that when you're going through your work experience, it's more beneficial to put your title in bold than the company because it's your title, it's your work experience that's most important, not necessarily the companies that you've worked for. Are the companies important? Yes, but they can go in italics. They can still have their own time to shine. But I think that when you call out the position that you are in, that is more impactful. At least it's something that I pay attention to more when I look at resumes. And then the other thing is that we know that many, many employers are using applicant tracking systems which leverage machine learning and AI to go through resumes. So thinking through your keywords is really important. So when you're going through your resume and you're typing out your experience, what words are you using? What adjectives are you leveraging? So instead of saying, demonstrate strong communication skills, how can you say that in a way that takes from an employer's job description or uses words that you know a recruiter is going to type into the keyword search. So maybe it's interpersonal or maybe it's um, oral communication, written communication, depending on the job. And so those things I think are also important. And then finally, um, systems and tools and resources, especially since so many of us are continuously working remotely or for the most part working remotely, the tools and resources that you've used, the systems that you've used, that to me is also really important to list because when you are looking at someone's resume, again, I think I've said this before, I would expect that every single person at this point in our experience on this planet, that as Americans at least, we are all advanced proficient in Microsoft Office. And if we're not that's obvious, That's like a separate issue to me, but I think that that goes without saying. And so it's probably not relevant to put on your resume, but what is relevant is to list the tools, the systems, the resources, um, the various like channels, whatever it is that you use specific to your role. I think that's really important. So if it's like a marketing role, if you've used Adobe, put Adobe. I mean, those are, those are keywords that recruiters are going to type into the keyword search to make sure that the candidates that are actually looking at and reviewing have that required experience because most positions are going to require some level of experience or use of these tools. And unless it's entry level, I would imagine that that that's probably the case, that those systems and tools are going to be leveraged um, and an expectation, especially in the job description. So I hope that that helps. Those are some quick tips. Um, I can totally dedicate an, an episode to um, resume editing, proofing, etc. if you find it helpful. But um, while I'm still getting to know this demographic, I want to make sure that I'm providing you episodes that are the most useful for you. But again, if it's something that you really want me to dive into, please let me know. I also plan to go back to my first episode, which was about 
destigmatizing HR because I kind of want to do a follow-up to that now that we're almost 30 episodes into um, this podcast, which is insane for me to think about. Um, But yeah, again, if you have any thoughts on an episode topic or something that you'd like to hear, don't be shy. Feel free to find me on Instagram. It's HR Tracy. Message me anywhere. Write a comment on YouTube. Totally reach out. And again, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. If you're on YouTube, give this video a thumbs up and I will see you next week. Bye.